Am I, do I need to hit anything? Am I good? Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. Uh, it is a pleasure to be here. Today we will be in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, before I share a little bit about Mercy Village Church. That way you can find your way to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Um, we are from West Virginia. My wife and I were both born one, well, two towns apart. I was born in Huntington, uh, the home of Marshall University, if you've ever heard of that place. I heard there's a Marshall fan here. I don't know if he's here today. There we go. Praise the Lord for that. Um, some of us have entered a new height of sanctification, I guess, um, and have, have grown to cheer for the right football team. That's a joke, but... Uh, Anyway, so we both met at Marshall University. She's from a town called Milton, and in between Huntington and Milton is a little town called Barbersville, small West Virginia town. And we have lived the last eight years of our life there, and it is our home. Uh, we're raising our family there, our uh, relationships from elementary, middle school, high school, college, many of those folks still live in that community. And about eight years ago, God laid it on our heart to plant a church in Barbersville, and his timing uh, was different than ours, and it has taken every bit of eight years for him to prepare us for that church plant there. Uh, but in November of 2020, which seems like a thousand years ago, but it was only one year ago, pandemic time is a little bit like sometimes it's condensed and sometimes it's expanded, uh, but that's when we started gathering a core team there of believers. We started with nine, um, and God has blessed us with uh, growth and expansion there. And coming the end, uh, so Christmas Eve, um, in church plant lingo, we're going to call Christmas Eve a launch of our church. We will publicly invite the community to come and join us there and worship on Christmas Eve, and then again on the first Sunday of the new year. And so we are excited to see what God has planned for Barbersville and just thankful for your participation, right? A, a few mountain ranges and valleys away from our mountain ranges and valleys in Barbersville, but uh, very similar, uh, quite frankly, in the types of people that we minister to uh, as the people you minister to here. All walks of life, all economic backgrounds, these we call them hollers in West Virginia. Uh, these hollers uh, have a wide diversity economically, have a wide diversity uh, experientially, a wide diversity in age and uh, you know life stages, and it's the same where we are in uh, the community of Barbersville. So we we covet your prayers, um, and we're thankful for you participating in the work that God is doing there. So it is an absolute honor and pleasure to open the Word of God to you guys today. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 is, is where we'll be. I have a friend in Uganda, my wife and I both, we are actually their oldest daughter is, uh, for lack of a better term, our goddaughter. So they have uh, bestowed that honor upon us. We met them before their first daughter was born. We were in Uganda, my daughter is born in Uganda and then born again into the Bokel family through adoption, uh, but we spent some time there and there was a wonderful man there named Simakula Timothy. He's a medical doctor, 
Um, his wife is a nurse and now runs a great organization that cares for uh, impoverished young girls in the uh, far reaches of Uganda who don't have the hygiene supplies that they need because of poverty. And so they minister in that way and share the gospel along with those tangible needs that they meet. And he, my friend Timothy, has started a clinic in a rural area of Uganda that has grown and grown over the last few years um, that ministers to people for little or no money um, who are in need of medical care in these areas. He was just starting that clinic when we met him the first time. God is, that would have been in 2016. God has blessed it tremendously since then, but I asked him, just an honest question, why have you chosen to put the clinic here? There's so much more uh, money to be made in the city, in the capital city of Kampala. And he said, well, this is my home. These are my people, and not only that, but I believe that what the Bible teaches is that I am blessed to be a blessing. That was his way of, of summing up what we're going to see today, which is that mercy received results in mercy extended. We don't just receive mercy and hold on to it for ourselves. We are called then to extend it to others. And with his life, he's, he's lived that. And, and Mary's going to exemplify that for us today, that when mercy draws near, it gives birth to humble participation in the work that God is doing. Specifically today, we will see the improbable mercy of God, the immeasurable mercy of God, and the impossible mercy of God. All in this birth announcement to Mary in Luke chapter 1. And we'll see that all of that mercy and grace breeds in the true children of God a response of humble obedience and engagement in what God is doing. The order matters. We'll come back to that again at the end. That mercy comes first. Our obedience doesn't come first. Mercy and grace comes first. But obedience follows after mercy and grace. So today we will see mercy gives birth to humble participation. And my prayer for us, for Rockfish, for my own heart, for my own family, is that through this passage today, um, as we gaze upon the rich and lavish mercy of God, that we will be renewed and strengthened in our desire to walk in obedience with Christ. So Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to start in verse 26. Of course, if you're familiar with the passage, we're going to hang out with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she's going to be visited in this passage by an angel, Gabriel. And we'll spend the bulk of these verses looking at the richness of God's mercy. And then in the end of this passage, we will see her response. So the vast majority of what we'll do today is, is rejoice in the mercy of God towards us. And then at the very end, and this is how the gospel works, we will see what we are called to do in response. First, we see the improbable nature of God's mercy in verses 26 through 29. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now the mercy of God is improbable here for at least four reasons, if not more. He is choosing Mary, God is choosing Mary for this great honor of being the one who will carry the Son of God in her womb and give birth to Him in Bethlehem. We're all familiar with the story of Advent. But it's crazy to me, but so common with me, that familiarity sometimes breeds complacency when it comes to the Advent story. We know it so well. We've heard it so many times that sometimes we fail to really engage the depth of what God is doing here. It's improbable that He would choose Mary for several reasons. And if, and if you can disengage yourself from your familiarity with the story and put yourself in the place of God's people, the Jews, as they were waiting for the Messiah, and think too of how they didn't know exactly how God was going to deliver the Messiah to them. If they'd have been faithful students of prophecy, they would have had a, a good idea, but so many people missed it. And if you would think of how a king would come, A king doesn't come to a woman in a stable. That's improbable. That's not normal. That's not how it would work. Normally, a king introduces the new king to the kingdom. Right? That would be the normal tendency of how a king was anointed, how a king was was, uh, brought into power. But God chooses a, a young, humble woman. To be the first to know this beautiful news and to be the one who will carry this king. Not only that, but she's a woman from Nazareth. Nazareth is the sticks. Nazareth is backwoods. Nazareth is Nelson County. Nazareth is what we say back home, out Wayne. That's a county close to us and it's it's in the sticks. At the risk of being sacrilegious towards Mary, she's a redneck woman. She's she's from the sticks. She's not the most likely choice for this job. But God chooses her. His mercy is improbable. And not only that, but she's she's a young virgin. This brings improbable to a whole new level. We're all familiar with biology, those of us that should be are familiar with biology and we know what has to happen for babies to happen and that something that has to happen for babies to happen hadn't happened for Mary. It is biologically improbable, it is scientifically improbable that she would be the one to give birth to the Messiah. But most of all, and we can all relate to this, she's a sinner. She's a sinner like you and she's a sinner like me. And yet she will bear in her womb the one who will put an end to all the sins of the children of God. She will carry inside of her an imperfect human, the perfect Son of God. God will use imperfect people to accomplish His perfect will. 
That's improbable. See, in the kingdom, all of this stuff is common. But outside of the kingdom, this is improbable, unlikely. Such a wild plan outside of the understanding of God's miraculous mercy and grace. So from the, from the, from the jump, we're trafficking in the improbable. A woman from Nazareth who is a young virgin who is saved by mercy and grace. And hear me today, thank God that He traffics in extending mercy to improbable people because I'm one of them. I'm an improbable recipient of God's mercy and grace. And if you're honest today, you are too. All of us from different walks of life, all of us with different resumes, but all of us just as unlikely to be recipients of God's grace. Unworthy to be recipients of God's grace. The total depravity of man is total in its depravity, right? Like all of us. It's total in its scope. We are all in the same boat apart from Jesus. Improbable recipients grace but it's not just improbable it's also immeasurable verses 30 through 33 and the angel said to her this is Gabriel speaking to Mary do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the birth announcement above all other birth announcements. Birth announcements are very exciting. This one tops them all. The Messiah. Jesus, meaning the Lord is salvation, is here. He will grow inside of Mary's womb and He will be great. No qualifiers. That's, that's a, a hint to something in that sentence. Because in the Old Testament, when the word great was used with no qualifiers, just great. Almost every single time, it is referring to God Himself. Gabriel knows... What we now know, that Jesus is God with skin on. Jesus is the Son of God. We, we talked about the Trinity in the uh, catechism, the New City Catechism, question three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, equal in, in uh, their godness, right? But still distinct in their person. It's a hard truth to fathom. A hard truth to understand. But it is a truth that the Bible proclaims and it is one that we hold fast to and Jesus is among the perfect union of the Trinity. He is God in the flesh. So He's God. That's immeasurable. You can't measure that. This big, humongous God is going to, right? <laughs> I think all the time, of, and this will date me, but like Aladdin. Anybody I mean, remember that animated movie? And at the very end, the genie tricks Jafar, the bad guy, into wishing to be a genie. And he's like in the midst of like all this cosmic like 
you know, juggling planets and stuff, and then he gets sucked into that genie lamp, and Aladdin says, all, or, yeah, all cosmic powers, itty-bitty living space, right? Anybody remember that? That's exactly what's going to happen in the Incarnation. All the power of God. And Mary's belly. What? Don't miss it. Don't get so familiar with this that you miss how beautiful and amazing and immeasurable that is. He's going to be the Son of the Most High. Gabriel says he'll be the Son of God. The book of Luke will go on to reveal Jesus not just as the Son of God, but as we just talked about, God the Son. Important distinction. He is God the Son. Second member of the Trinity, God with skin on him. He'll receive the throne of David. The throne of David will be given to him. That was a promise from 2 Samuel that the people of God have been waiting on him, waiting on him, waiting on him, waiting on him. He will receive the throne of David. He will rule over the house of Jacob. That was a promise from way back in Genesis that that would happen and it's going to be fulfilled in this baby boy. Remember Jacob, by the way, was an improbable recipient of grace. A liar and a cheater. Remember David was an improbable recipient of grace. Remember Bathsheba? Remember Abraham was an improbable recipient of grace. He was most likely a star worshiper before God called him out his people just like mary an improbable recipient of grace and here mary is learning in real time that she the improbable recipient of mercy and grace will give birth right to the immeasurable repository of mercy and grace right the improbable recipient of grace is now going to give birth to the immeasurable repository of mercy and grace Unfathomable. The very Messiah, Jesus Christ, will grow inside of her. God's going to keep His promise to Adam and Eve that from their line would come the snake crusher. God's going to keep His promise to Abraham that through His line, all the nations of the world would be blessed. God's going to keep His promise to David that His family would sit on the throne forever. God's going to keep His promise to Isaac and Jacob and Leah and Noah and to all His people. God's going to keep His promises that He made through Isaiah and Micah and Hosea and Jeremiah. And He's going to do it through an improbable recipient of grace, mercy. Those promises will be fulfilled in her womb. Through her womb and the birth of Jesus and all of His life after that. The Messiah will come and dwell with us. Grace upon grace will be poured out on the people of God. Immeasurable grace. Unfathomable grace mercy but how could this be we've got some potential roadblocks here right and mary's going to highlight the main one of these potential roadblocks this all seems impossible but there is an impossible not only is the nature of god's mercy improbable not only is the nature of god's mercy and his grace immeasurable but it's also seemingly impossible And in this case, it is most certainly seemingly impossible. She says, how shall this be? Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Notice this, though. I don't remember who pointed this out to me. She doesn't ask if it will be. She asks 
how it will be. There's still a measure of faith even in her inability to grasp how God is going to do it. At least in her verbiage, she doesn't betray any doubt that He will do it. Baffled by how He will do it, but not concerned that He will do it. But of course she's baffled. Wouldn't she be? Wouldn't you be? It is un. It is impossible, biologically impossible. It is scientifically impossible. This is not a real thing by human standards, by nature's standards. It will have to be accomplished by God and God alone. It is impossible. Don't let familiarity breed complacency. The Word will become flesh and take up residence in the belly of this virgin teenager from Nazareth. For nine months, she will carry in her body the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Impossible. Gabriel sounds a little bit crazy right now, but he continues. He answers her question. The angel answered her, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you Speaking of the Trinity, verse 35 is a, it's a triune verse. Watch this. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Therefore, the child born in you will be the Holy Son of God. Do you see him? God the Father's power overshadowing, the Holy Spirit coming upon her, and then inside of her, Jesus, the Son of God. The Trinity present. In Mary's life. The Trinity present in your life. The Trinity present in my life as children of God. That will be the answer to what seems impossible. God. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. Take the impossible and make it possible. Take the improbable and make it reality. Take the immeasurable, put skin on it, and give it to us as a gift, our Savior, Jesus. But he doesn't just stop with a theology lesson, by the way. He does. He gives her a theology lesson in verse 35. But then he goes on in verses 36 and 37 to give her uh, some tangible something in reality that she can hold on to. He gives her an example. He says, don't just remember the doctrine Don't just remember the theology, but remember the reality that you can see around you right now. In verse 36, he says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Remember? She couldn't conceive. Everyone said it was impossible for her to conceive. For nothing will be impossible with God. I love that verse. And when you, right, when you put that verse into its context, the power of it grows even larger. Nothing will be impossible. And, it, and I think it would have been impossible for Mary to hear him talk about Elizabeth and not thought back to Abraham's wife Sarah. They called her barren too. To not think back to Rebecca, they called her barren too. And remember, yes, 
There is a long line of women in the kingdom of God who had impossible conceptions. Hers the most impossible of all. But it wasn't unlike God to make the impossible possible. He'd done it. He says, here's the theology and the doctrine of why you can believe the impossible. He said, and here's some real life examples of why you can believe that God can do the impossible. One of the things Christians are supposed to do is remember. Remember what God has done. You want to walk by faith and not by sight, right? Then you have to cling to the doctrine of the Word of God. But so much of the Word of God is not just doctrinal lessons, but it is also example after example after example of how God in reality worked and accomplished what He promised to do. And we cling to those promises with faith. He calls Mary to observe and remember. What God wants you to know today is that the improbable, immeasurable, and impossible mercy and grace of God is real. The stories are true. These aren't Bible lessons. They are, but that's not all they are. These aren't flannel graph stories from a Sunday school class. They're more than that. They're real life events that happened and in them the impossible, immeasurable, improbable mercy of God is, is displayed. Last verse. You see, that's what we do. We spend all our time basking in the mercy and grace of God because that comes first. It must come first. We cannot respond in obedience without it. But at the end of the story, as this scene closes out, we see Mary's response. Verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mercy, when mercy draws near, it gives birth to humble participation. She says, I am your servant. Humble and she says, let it be according to your will. Now understand this. She doesn't have a clue that Gabriel's about to go visit Joseph here in a few months. In fact, they've got to wait for it to happen. She doesn't know that. So one thing that she already knows is she's got a really awkward conversation coming. You imagine? But yet she says, let it be according to your will. Even if my husband decides to put me away quietly, which again, he didn't even have to do that. He could have put her away publicly. He could have shamed her publicly. And she says, even if that's the cost, yes, let it be according to your will. Not only that, but, but she knows she's not ignorant to the fact that people will look at her son. And they will call him a slur for someone who doesn't have a father. In the streets, they will say that. And I'm sure they said other slurs about her, people who have babies without husbands. She knew that was part of her future. And yet she said, let it be according to your will. She'll be forced to flee to Egypt as a refugee because of this let it be according to your will. 
While every other child under the age of two, the playmates of, of potentially of, of young Jesus are, are killed by Herod the king. People in her own family are going to call her son a lunatic. They're going to call him crazy. They're going to drag his name through the mud. And one day on a hillside outside of Jerusalem, she's going to stand there and watch her son die. This will be the cost of her let it be according to your will. She can imagine some portion of what's coming, but not all of it. She doesn't know the full magnitude of what is coming her way when she says that. But what she does know is enough to scare her, would be enough to make me hesitate. I don't know, God. That's a lot. Can we go with a maybe and you come back? Gabriel, go back. Make sure that's what God really said, okay? Before I give you my answer. Can you go back, maybe check in with God, and then come back and, and let's confirm that's really, this is really what I'm being called to do. No, she says it immediately. Let it be according to your will. She's getting what the psalmist said. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. My hands and my feet will follow you where you lead because you are worth more than life. You're worth more than money. You're worth more than my reputation. You're worth more than my uh, uh, relationships. You're worth more than anything this world can give to me. And because of that, I'll say yes to what you call me to. Hear me today, there's no cost too great to participate in what God is doing. I don't expect you to feel that all the time. I don't feel that all the time. I don't know that Mary certainly felt that in the moment. Sometimes yes is hard. Sometimes yes is difficult. There's no cost too great. Humble participation in the work of God, this God of mercy, is better than relationship or reputation or safety or health. It's better than life itself. And so in the kingdom of God, it is considered wise. It is considered appropriate to give away anything and everything God calls you to for the sake of knowing Jesus and experiencing His mercy and grace. Mercy gives birth to humble participation in the work that God is doing. So yes, when mercy draws near, we realize that we have nothing to fear and only joy to gain in following after Jesus in complete obedience and so we can value things differently than the world does. We can have a new rubric for how we assign value to, to things than the way the world does it. We can lay down our relationships and our reputations and our safety and our uh, cash and our security and our time and our very lives to engage Nelson County with the truth of the Gospel. And yes, even to see church plants immobilized in Barbersville, West Virginia. We can risk our relationships with our friends and with our family to boldly share the Gospel with them. We can cut out whatever in our life is distracting us or is a waste of our, our money or time or energy so that we then can invest that money or time or energy in the kingdom of God. We can do those sorts of things that the world would say are crazy. We can give our time, talents, and treasures away to the kingdom of God. 
We can give more time and energy and resources to this church, to missionaries, to that charity that you've been desiring to partner with. Because when mercy draws near, it transforms us. But the question we close with is, <laughs> what about when we fail? Because if you're anything like me, you hear that. You see Mary. Man, that's a big ask. Yes, mercy gives birth to humble participation, but what about when we fail to participate? What about when we fail to obey? Mary will fail. You're going to fail. I'm going to fail to follow in obedience. You see, we don't need a participation trophy that says humble participant in the kingdom. We need a Savior. That's our deepest need is not to be people who pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and, and humbly walk in obedience to God. We need to be recipients of a Savior. You see, Jesus is the model for Mary. Even though it won't happen until after He is born in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember? He'll say, God, Your will be done. Not mine. He says, let this cup pass from Me. This ask is pretty big. What you're calling me to is going to crush me, literally. But your will be done, not mine. Let it be according to your will. Mary didn't come up with that. That came to her from God. And if it will ever come out of our mouths and ever come out of our souls, let it be according to your will, it must come from God. Mercy did draw near. That baby boy would grow in Mary's belly and be born in that barn in Bethlehem and, and Jesus would live a perfect, sinless life. Proclaiming the truth and love and wrath and forgiveness of God. And then he would be falsely tried by, by jealous uh, leaders and liars and nailed to a cross. And there he would bleed and die and this was the plan of God from the start. That on that cross, all the unfathomable wrath of God would be poured out on Jesus instead of me. Be poured out on Jesus instead of you on behalf of sinners like you and sinners like me. So that mercy could draw near. So that we could become part of God's family. 1 John 1.12 but to all who did receive Him, Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. If you're not a Christian, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved today. Mercy and grace can draw near to you today by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Believe on Jesus and be saved. If you're a child of God, mercy gives birth to humble participation. Again, to be clear, that humble participation follows after the mercy and grace of God. It comes in the wake of it. Your obedience won't save you. Your humble participation won't save you. Those who have truly received the mercy and grace of God will respond with humble participation. Not perfect participation. Not a-plus, uh, uh, constant sanctification, but humble, growing. Day by day, 
sanctified by the grace of God, becoming more and more like Jesus, participating in what He's doing. So, mercy comes first. Grace comes first, and it has, and it births in us that desire. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But then Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. And that yoke, right? That yoke is easy. And that burden is light. Humble participation in the work of God is to take that easy yoke and to take that light burden and to walk side by side with Jesus in this life. Might we be people who say, let it be according to your will, no matter how difficult it may seem in human terms to follow after Jesus. May we understand that whatever he's calling us to is that gentle yoke, that gentle and lowly call to pick up that easy yoke and to take that light burden and follow after him. Whatever he calls you to will be for more joy, for more satisfaction, for more hope in your life than anything else this world has to offer. That'll be true for Mary. Even though it looks like one of the most difficult things she'll ever do, God will be there with her in it. Mercy gives birth to humble participation. Father, I can't do justice, no human can, do complete justice to this message, which is why we require your help today, that the Holy Spirit will move among us as promised, convicting us of ungodliness and encouraging us in godliness and, and uh, oh, enlightening our hearts and minds to see the truth. That Jesus will be seen as beautiful, not our works, not the words of any uh, preacher, but Jesus will be seen as beautiful and that your power, your power to save and to sanctify will be at work among your people today. Otherwise, there is no hope for us because all our hope is in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.